It's time for Caught on Tape with Doug Murin. And now your host, Doug Murin. Hey, glad you're listening again today. We've got a uh, message that actually I shared a few years ago. Uh, but a friend tosses to me and said, Doug, why don't you preach this again? And I said, why preach it again? It was really terrific. So I want to share with you today a discussion again, further studying the love. What's love like in the Bible? I think you'll really enjoy it. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll be back in a little bit to discuss some further things you can help us with on the show. But I want you to enjoy this for right now. Okay. Love is the mark of a Christian. And 1 Corinthians 13 has to be the most beautiful chapter on the topic. It's a confusing topic. Um, we, we talk about love a lot, but we're really kind of confused about it. Uh, they say now that about 60% of the marriages break up, and one of the, one of the guys, uh, writers I read said the reason was that they believed that love was all you need. They believed John Lennon's philosophy that all you need is love, and we had a mistaken notion what love is. The other, the other reason that love is such a confusing thing is, is we are so narcissistic that we're self-centered when we come to define very important topics like that in the Bible. I think personally, too, one of the reasons we're a little confused about love is the sheer affluence of our society. I think we have enough money and free time, although it doesn't seem like we have free time, we really do, but we choose to fill that time. Our affluence gives us the opportunity to really not have to worry about a lot of things and really kind of get a little picky inish and raise our expectations high, whereas survival was a pretty major concern and still is for a good part of the world. When you're Americans, you have a lot more time to worry about what uh, Maslow called your higher needs. And so your expectations from life get higher and higher and higher than those around you. And our affluence, frankly, causes us a lot of problems with this whole area as to what we mean by love. Not to mention our basic bent toward a fast food society. Uh, if you can go get a hamburger in a minute, why can't you get love in a minute? Right? I think also we're pretty much a results-oriented culture rather than one that appreciates the process. Uh, for example, you can tell by the way you make a deal. In America, you go make a deal. You present the facts and you don't get too social about it. You make a deal. And one of the things we're having to discover in dealing with, say, for example, the Japanese is that there is a process to making a deal. And the process is valued as highly as the results. And that's very difficult for us to understand. And now when you come to a concept like love, which is very much a process as described in the Bible, rather than results-oriented, we're a little confused and perplexed by the whole topic. One woman, Jean Aniloth, said this. She says, I don't want to, people to love me. It, it makes for too many obligations. I thought that was an interesting phrase. I don't want anyone to love me. It makes for too many obligations. And that is, that is the one thing about love. It has a great undercurrent when you read the Bible of a responsibility. Now, with those confusing points about love. We got a problem. We say, is love possible in the 90s? And we come to even talking about love in the church because we got all these things going around as to what we mean by it. It's pretty important we get riveted right on the Bible and try to discriminate what we mean. And let's go to the next point. If you take notes, we're going to look at four words about love. 
C.S. Lewis wrote a great book that I would highly recommend called, called The Four Loves. It's a great book. will take you about one week to read it with about an hour's reading per night. So if you want to take two months and read it, I think it'll lose some of its impact, but you could, you know, do that and read for maybe 15 minutes a night. That's about one-fourth of a good TV show. It's not bad to, to give up. And for the most part, most of the shows, you could probably miss the middle 15 minutes and get the front and the end and know what happened anyway. But he, in this book, beautifully breaks down four words for love. And, and most people who, would, for example, teach on love in marriage will break down these four words and break them out as the four expressions of love in marriage, which I think is pretty sound. First off, number one, is the word storge. S-T-O-R-G-E is the word when it's anglicized. S-T-O-R-G-E. S-T-O-R-G-E. And by that word we mean affection. And it's sometimes used in the Bible to describe love and is certainly uh, depictive in the language that the Greeks used of this kind of love. It basically means family affection. And when you translate that over to uh, a marriage relationship, for example, it basically means that you've chosen to share the responsibility of family and children together. And it's one of the love bonds that keeps a family together. Or in, in our kind of setting, we have a shared responsibility together. And this sometimes brings affection. Okay, storge. Affection. The second word is the word phileo. Does anybody, you've, if you've gone through this lesson before, you know what this word means? P-H-I-L-E-O. What's it mean? Brotherly love. Oh, really, friendship. And when you take that to marriage, it's an attraction or a concern or interest in one another. It's based on shared goals. So relationship where the full scope of love is affecting is the, based on shared responsibility or storge love is based on shared goals or friendship. Friendship is a kind of love, phileo. Sometimes this word phileo, however, is used synonymous with the big word for love we'll get to in a moment with agape. So they don't really divide up as neatly as we would hope, but in general they do paint this picture. The third word for love, you may be able to guess, is the word eros, E-R-O-S. We get the word erotic from it, which means basically attraction, usually sexual attraction. There's this news guy on, on TV, and what is his name again? Uh, Kent, author Kent, and they, they have him on the news every night reporting the war because evidently he has an erotic appeal to most of the American women. Author Kent on, on NBC, if you'd like to see, ladies. Uh, <laughs> that is Eros. Eros is present. It's attraction, and in a marriage relations, shared attraction is very important. Uh, is eros is intended to work within the bounds of marriage as interpreted in the scripture. But these are three words for love that help us get a better understanding of it. Now, there's a neat thing about every one of these three kinds of love. Storge love, erotic love, or eros, and phileo love have an interesting uh, facet to all of them that make them fall far short of the kind of love we're going to talk about out of 1 Corinthians 13. Every one of these manifestations of these kinds of love, which are legitimate love, there's nothing illegitimate about them, they're wonderful forms of love. Anyone who would suggest that friendship is bad, or that eros is bad, or the storge affection in families is bad, is crazy. They're obviously good, but there is one distinctive quality they all have. They're all needs-oriented. In other words, I have affection for my kids basically because I have a need to be needed. 
And a family relationship on this kind of love is we need each other. There's a mutual meeting of needs. It's loving somebody because you get your needs met by expressing this kind of love and you get something back. Eros the same. There's mutual attraction. Uh, phileo friendship is based on most friendships are win-win situations. In other words, you basically don't hang around someone that you don't feel you get as much from them as you give. That's the basis of most friendships. There's a for the most part, an equal giving and receiving. These are all based on needs that you have, the need to be needed, basically, or the need to have needs met. The interesting thing about the word agape is that it is a non-needs-based kind of love. Agape love is a shared decision. Agape love is when you choose to act in a certain way only on the basis of what is right and what you've decided to do in your heart. And so it's a shared giving, the decision of love. It's what Lewis will call in his book, pure appreciative love. It's not based on any need. God didn't choose to love us because He needed to love somebody. God's pretty secure in Himself and needs nothing. How many believe it? He chose to love us. It was a decision. And when we talk about the kind of love in 1 Corinthians 13 we're going to be looking at the next four weeks, we're talking about the pure decision that is God-like deciding. And we're going to look at it a little bit. Now, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to get a pen out. If your Bible's too nice to write in it, throw it away. And get one sometime this week that you can write in. We're, going to, we're not going to be able to read the whole book tonight, but I want to give you an outline of the book. 1 Corinthians 13, actually 12, verse 31b, through verse 3, I'm going to give you a neat little outline that you can get a hold of this chapter and own it and begin to read it in your study and devotion, meditation time. Chapter 12, 31b, through verse 3 of 13, can be titled, if you want to write a title in, The Necessity of Love. Paul is going to talk about the necessity that the Corinthian church have love. Without love, they're lost. They are nothing. We'll look at that in a moment. Verses 4 through 6 of this same chapter, put a bracket around it, and this chapter talks about the character of love. It gives you traits of love so you can tell when you are being loving or when you are not. And you need this objective data because inwardly, just going on your emotions, you can't always tell when you're being loving. Verses 7 to 13 is the third section, and this talks about the permanence of love. Verses 7 to 13 of 1 Corinthians 13 talks about the permanence of love. Okay? So we have the necessity of love, the character of love, and the permanence of love. What you're going to find as you get through this whole chapter is the most powerful action any human has is the ability to love. It's, it's outlast. Uh, the, the parable of the, of the uh, prodigal son is a great example. You read the prodigal son parable. What's the, what's the, there's basically several things that happen. The lost coin is lost because it's careless. The son, though, he deliberately chooses to uh, you know, tell the father to go take a hike, and he goes on his way. He chooses to be bad, turns back on God. And, and what's the father do? Nothing. He doesn't chide him. He doesn't berate him. Does nothing to stop him. He lets him choose. But what does he continue to do? Love him. Because the point of the parable is, love is permanent. It is all-encompassing, and you can't get away from it. And that's Paul's point. Love has permanence to it. Now, we're going to read tonight the first three verses 
of this chapter in a moment. But I'm going to give you one more list. Are you into lists tonight yet? Okay, you're going, to, you're going to get some studying in. You need to engage brain, and here we go. Today you're listening to a message that I presented in a few years ago, but it is so applicable today. It's about love, how you can recognize true love of the biblical standards. And uh, as you listen today, I think you're going to find it just as pertinent as the day I shared it. So uh, have a great lesson. And if you would like to contact me, ask questions, just go doug.murin at gmail.com. I'd love to engage with you. We have a little thing that uh, if you go to our website, it's dougmurinradio.com. We've got a little thing we call it the 120, which are people who help us support the show because we do want to expand it. People are kind of excited about it. And, and uh, uh, what we're doing is if you can become one of the 120 who helps us sponsor the show, at that website, there's a place where you can give, dougmurinradio.com, or you could simply send any gift to 1806 Fifth Street, 1806 5th Street, Wenatchee, W-E-N-A-T-C-H-E-E, Washington, 98801. You can send your checks there. Or you can go to our PayPal, which is doug.murin at gmail.com. And we'll get your address, and we'll send you the book. We'll send you a great book. It's called uh, The Way Through the Wilderness, and it's an incredible study, the best I've ever found. Uh, My friend Jamie Buckingham wrote it applying the story of the wilderness wandering to the believer's life. And believe me, it explains so many things. And I'm excited to be able to give it to you if you can help us out. And I appreciate you. Any amount will uh, help us do this. If you'd like to schedule us, by the way, in your church for a live radio show outreach presentation with my team, go to our website and it'll tell you exactly how to do that. DougMurinRadio.com. God bless you as you listen today. Happy you're with us. These are statements about love. Number one. John 13.34 says, A new commandment I give you, that you what? love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, in that you have love one for another. And write that down. Love is the mark of the Christian. It's the only language the world will understand. I'm going to tell you, the church is pitifully absent of love. And all of us sitting in this room tonight, without even needing to be condemned, may as well face the facts that we aren't real good at it and all be included there. I mean, you're ready to, to admit that. How many here could grow a little bit in your capacity of... just? Maybe you don't know for sure because we haven't read the content of love, but you suspect maybe you need some help. Okay? Yeah. For example... Uh, there are so many picky, petty kind of stuff that ticks me off so bad. Most of church stuff. I do consulting. And one, today a pastor came in and wanted to consult with me. One of the churches were planting. And they're all upset. Because the pastor took one of the choruses out of the list that the worship team put together. And they have, one of them has made calls to 20 people. And they really are concerned because things are awry. Because the pastor doesn't have a heart for worship. Well, in fact, it's kind of a dippy chorus to be singing to begin with. Okay? And this is a big thing. And I'm thinking to myself while I'm sitting there in the middle of this conversation, I'm, I'm supposed to even listen to this as a legitimate problem? 
I mean, I could think of things that, you know, would be in the candidate expletives that would be a word of the Lord in this situation that I couldn't use, you know, that would be the most appropriate things anyone could say. And we give dignity to the most unloving, stupid, unimportant stuff. I had a person Sunday morning come and try to help me out. He said, one of the staff was rude. One of the staff was rude. I said, well, well who was rude? Said, well, I can't tell you. I said, well, you really helped me. Besides that, the Bible says, if somebody's rude, what are you supposed to do? Go to them and tell them, you're a rude sucker. Right? You just go tell them. You go tell them. Because then they can find out what they did was rude. Otherwise, they don't know. But we've now discussed it with five people. Somebody's rude. And three of the staff people have talked to by other people. Said the staff, actually, they're probably busy. And they said, here, go fill this out and I'll talk to you later. And, and, I, and I'm just telling you, I had it up to here. Because that is just stupid, ignoramic stuff. It is no wonder. It is no wonder the, church, the world looks at us. People don't know Christ. And they say, good grief. I find basic unchurched people who know nothing about God or the Bible or church to have far more respect for just sanity <laughs> than your average well-churched, tainted person. Well, what's the problem? Well, we don't understand the program's love. The program is love. That's what it is. It's love. And we're all going to mess up. It's a process. We don't embarrass one another. It's impossible to when you're standing in love. We accept, forgive one another. We embrace one another. We help one another. We understand we haven't had any of us arrive. We're committed to each other's growth. That's the basis of love. Without that, we're sunk. Because this isn't a religious club of perfect people. It used to be that and you decided to come here. <laughs> and you helped us. You helped well, here are some things. The Bible says, let me give you some... Okay, it's the mark of a Christian. Two, love is measurable. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that what? That He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believe in Him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. It's measurable in this sense. Love is measured because it's always costly. You can tell you're loving because it costs you a whole bunch. Cost God is very best. Thirdly, these are all verses about love not related to 1 Corinthians 13, which I know you're interested in. 1 John 4.10 tells you that love acts first. Write that down. Love acts first. For God loved us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He saw me when I was the most unlovable and chose to love me anyway. But here's the key with love. It's the mark of the Christian. It is measurable by what you give. Thirdly, Love acts first. Love doesn't sit back and wait to act. It acts first. Fourth, Ephesians 1.4 says that in love he predestined us. And I wrote this down. Love makes plans to express itself. Okay, love is planned. If you're note taker, write this down. Love is planned. Agape love. In agape, he predestined us. God's love is a planned love. You have to plan to love or you don't. Five. 1 John 3.11. The Bible says that love has eyes. Love has eyes. John said it this way. 1 John 3.11. If you see your brother who has no food on his table and you simply say, God bless you and go on your way, you have not seen anything with loving eyes. Right? That's what Cain was able to do. That's not love. 
1 John 3.11. Okay, love has eyes. 6. 1 John 4.16 and 18 tells us that love is fearless. Perfect love casts out all fear. 1 John 4.16-18, you know you're loving because you don't have fear and it's not guilt. The basic meaning there is there's no guilt involved. You know you're operating God's love or you've moved out of God's love when you do what you do because you feel guilty. There's no guilt in love. You don't love so you'll feel good or get over feeling bad. You love fearlessly. And seven, write this down. We're going to come back over these, as I said, in a few weeks, but you might want to get them down tonight anyway. Romans 5, 5 says, The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Love comes from the heart out. It doesn't come from the outside. It must come from the heart out. The Spirit of God must drive and energize our love. Now, that was a quick run-through, wasn't it? Let me review them again. One, love is the mark of a Christian, John 13, 14. Two, love is measurable by what you give. Thirdly, 1 John 4, 10, love acts first. Four, Ephesians 1, 4, love has plans. Five, 1 John 3, 11, love has eyes. Six, 1 John 4, 16, 18, love is fearless. And seven, Romans 5, 5, love comes from the heart out. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, actually 1231b, look there with me now, and we're going to begin concluding by launching out into the text. The necessity of love, the character of love, and the permanence of love. Let's read this whole chapter together, and let me talk to you only about the first three verses as we close tonight, the necessity of love. Paul is writing contextually about the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13 falls in the context of Paul beginning to describe to the Corinthians how they need to correct their thinking about the gifts of the Spirit. We know from the following chapter that they're actually having gifts in the Spirit contests. We know from chapters 11 and 12 that they were having quite selfish love feasts. They were throwing a love feast to share a dinner together. And the wealthy guys were cramming to the front, crowding to the front of the line and were overeating and overdrinking. And in a church service, they were gorged and drunk by the time the service began. That's why I smile when people talk about how, how we need to get back to the New Testament church because we're so decadent. And I think of the New Testament church and I think, do we know what we're saying? Because this is a rough and woolly bunch here. Uh, so, so the rich people were drunk and over-engorged with food by the time service started. And the poor people weren't into the line, only had those little green olives with the you know, pimentos in them. That's all. That's it. And they were, it really was a disgusting situation. And then, and then one of these guys would, would get up and speak in tongues real loud and utterly blow the minds of people who were there who, one, had never heard such a thing, or two, were there as guests to hear about Christ. It was utterly and totally insensitive to those who weren't part of the community yet let alone the disgusting pride and greed and avarice and insensitivity that was going on. And the gifts of the Spirit was simply carried on the same way they carried on the rest of their life. And so Paul in the middle contextualizes his concern. He says, here's the issue. You may be impressed with your spirituality, but you've got some real bums in your midst. Sure, I mean, he says, hey, you guys are having revelation and visions and gifts flowing. I'm impressed. I'm duly impressed. The power of God is working in the Corinthian church. You've got problems, but there's a lot of good. He said, but still, even in the way you do the gifts, you do spiritual stuff. 
with the same, the same lack of love. He says, let me talk to you about the higher way. Let me tell you how this stuff ought to be done. Let me tell you the traits of people who are doing this stuff right. And let's read it. He says, now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, I have a faith, and, and if I have, I need glasses on, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not agape, the word we talked about, a non-needs-oriented love, if I have not agape, what is he? Nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, what? I gain nothing. It says love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's a great statement. If you never know what to do with someone you care a lot about, remember that. Let's say it together. Love never fails. Let's say it one more time. Love never fails. Agape never fails. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. And where there are tongues, they'll, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. When the perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now, we see that a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now, I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Let's say these words together, okay? Faith, hope, and love, agape. And the greatest of these is agape. Many have asked me, how can I get this on podcasts? Go to kcisradio.com, kcisradio.com, and you'll find it under Caught on Tape with Doug Muren. And you can get it on your little podcast thing. And I hope you'll enjoy it in that form, too. And thank you for spreading the word about it. Caught on Tape with Doug Muren is a listener and friend-supported program. Your help with the show and expanding the evangelism events of Doug Muren is appreciated. You can write Doug Muren, Caught on Tape, at 1806 Fifth Street, Wenatchee, Washington, 98801. Or online at DougMurinRadio.com.